So, um, you guys remember anything about Timothy from the book of Acts? We did read about him in, in Acts. Timothy is an interesting guy. Paul meets him on one of his missionary journeys, and Timothy's mom was a Jew, but his dad was a Roman. Now, what does that maybe tell you about his, his mom's family right off the bat? Yeah, they, they maybe weren't super committed Jews. Uh, you know, her, her mom and dad married her off to this Roman. But she herself was really, really faithful. And apparently over time, her mom was really, really faithful. Because in First Timothy, we learn how Timothy learned about the scriptures from both his grandma and his mother. And so maybe, maybe there was, maybe she married this Roman through her dad's influence primarily, or maybe over time there was repentance that happened and she and, and her mother. But however it happened, Timothy learns the things of God from the Old Testament through his grandma and through his mom. And as Paul is going on his missionary travels, he meets Timothy. And Timothy is very intelligent. He's very promising. He's uh, very well versed in the scriptures, and Paul thinks that he's a very valuable person. And, and so he winds up mentoring Timothy. He winds up taking Timothy along with him for some of his trips. And over time, Paul comes to trust Timothy so much that there's issues going on in multiple churches at the same time. Paul can't be everywhere at once. So sometimes instead of him traveling to a church, and going there and being like, hey, let's nail this down and settle these issues. Sometimes he starts sending Timothy in his place. Timothy, you might remember, was also the guy that as Paul was heading to Jerusalem, uh, Timothy had never been circumcised. And so he said, Timothy, I hate to break it to you, but not because circumcision saves you, but because we don't want to cause unnecessary offense. You've got to be circumcised. And what did Timothy do? He said, ah, no, and he ran away, right? That's what I would have done. No, he, he went through with it. Um, whenever we read First and Second Timothy, anybody catch last night in their reading where Timothy is? Chapter 1, verse 3 tells you. Ephesus. Ephesus. Timothy is the pastor in Ephesus at this point. In time. And Ephesus has some major, major problems, which is why Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and there are some really huge problems going on here. Uh, somebody read chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Yeah, so what's the first problem in Ephesus that we kind of learn about from the letter? There's these two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and what have they done? Blasphemy. They've blasphemed. They've not held fast to the faith. And apparently they were leading other people astray too. Um, 
Hyamaeus and Alexander, and, and what did Paul have to do to them? What does he say he did in verse 20? Yeah, he handed them over to Satan for a purpose that they may learn not to blaspheme. So basically what's happened here is Paul has exercised his authority as an apostle. He's excommunicated these people. He's kicked them out of the church. And through this really severe discipline, which has come upon them, uh, he's hoping that they will learn uh, the, the seriousness of sin and will repent. Uh, another issue that's happening in Ephesus is there's just too many people and too many problems for Timothy to take care of by himself. So in chapter 3, Timothy is told to appoint, and these terms are interchangeable, overseers and elders, and also to appoint deacons. Overseers and elders, this is um, really just the word in the New Testament for pastors. Uh, pastor is a Latin word. Um, overseer and elders, uh, these represent the, the Greek words. And so Timothy is told to appoint other overseers, other uh, elders who can be helpers to him, who can come alongside him and teach the people and exercise authority and rule in Ephesus and hold people accountable and lead the congregation. Because apparently this is such a big church that it's really hard for Timothy to manage it all by himself. He's also told to appoint deacons. The word deacon literally just means servant. Um, but these are specific special types of servants. You know, everybody who is a Christian should be a servant of God and should be a servant of the church. But deacons are people who have this responsibility given to them in a special way. Back in the book of Acts, if you remember, uh, the apostles are going around, they're preaching to people, they're praying, they're ministering, and then all of a sudden there's this issue that comes up where there are widows who aren't getting uh, supplied with food during uh, the time when daily people pass the food out. And so there's a complaint that comes from these widows to the apostles that says, hey, we aren't getting the food. And Peter and John and the other apostles look at this and say, well, number one, is it important that the widows get their provisions? Yeah. yeah. But then they also say, if we're the ones that do it, you know what we're not going to be able to do? Keep preaching and teaching the way that we have been. And is it important that we keep preaching and teaching? Yeah. So what they do is they appoint seven faithful servants. And it's the jobs of these seven faithful servants to meet the physical needs of the congregation. The apostles, the elders, they're going to really meet the spiritual needs of the congregation. The deacons, these servants, are going to meet the physical needs of the congregation are both important. Yeah, both are really important. But one way to kind of think about this is that the deacons are taking responsibilities off of the pastors, off of the elders. It's the job of the elders to preach and pray and counsel and teach. And so what the deacons do is they come alongside them and some of these other really important things that need to get done, they take those responsibilities and jobs upon themselves to free the elders and the pastors up to minister like they need to. And so Paul tells Timothy to appoint deacons in these churches. 
Uh, one of the things that we see in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 6 is that there are a lot of widows in the church at Ephesus. Uh, there, and, and that means that there's a lot of people that the church needs to provide for and take care of. And Timothy, if he spends all day every day going around and you know doing this with the widows, he's never going to have time to evangelize or to preach or to counsel or do anything else. So Paul in 1 Timothy uh, gives him uh, teaching on appointing elders and overseers. Now, as you guys read that passage, this is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, where, where Paul tells him to appoint elders and overseers and, and deacons. Um, did you catch anything about the qualifications for elders and deacons? Somebody read chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Wait, what's it? Down to verse 7. Okay. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, but he, he must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent con- convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, that he may not fall into a disgrace, into a snare of the devil. What do you catch about qualifications for pastors in that text? Have a really electrifying personality. Be super charismatic and a great leader. Is, is that stuff that you heard? What are the what are the qualifications in that text? Look, just just call some of them out. Be gentle. Be gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. Sober-minded. Sober-minded. What does that mean? Yeah, clear-minded, right? Yeah, um, the ability to think clearly, um, you know, be able to see things the way that they are. Yeah, I think that's a good description. So not be a recent convert so that they don't fall back. Bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that is an interesting one. Um, most of the qualifications for pastors given, we could say, are primarily moral things, Right? Um, and are they things that only pastors should be? No. No. Uh, quarrels, not quarrelsome, gentle, hospitable, above reproach. Uh, husband of one wife there is really a, a statement about faithfulness, right? Uh, can you think of anybody who was a pastor in a church in the New Testament that was not married? Paul. Paul. Right, so it's not saying you have to be married with kids. It's in um, Greek. It's literally he's a one woman man, right? It's a statement about faithfulness, uh, not a polygamist, not someone who's having affairs and committing adultery. Um, I think that it probably rules out um, people uh, divorcees. If um, what does Jesus say about about divorce? When is divorce okay? Yeah, for sexual immorality, um, breaking of covenant vows. So basically, I think that what this would rule out is if you have a guy who is about to become an elder 
and um, there was a no-fault divorce, which means, um, you know, he wasn't the offended party. It wasn't that there was an offender and an offended party. Um, if he just broke that relationship off uh, without reasonable cause, uh, I think it's saying here he probably shouldn't be an elder. Why do you think that is? Why would that be one of the qualifications? Okay, keeping the law of Christ. What does marriage do? Yeah, it, it's a representative of the bond between Christ and the church. And what is a pastor's job? It's to represent who to the congregation? God to the congregation. To, to speak. As um, Paul says, let the one who speaks speak as the oracle of God. Right? So I think the point here is um, the same thing with, like, um, his kids shouldn't be, um, you know, wild and crazy. They, they should be submissive to him. He should know how to manage his household. I think the idea is if this guy doesn't already know how to represent uh, Christ in his family life, does he really need to try to represent Christ in front of the entire church? If he doesn't know how to manage his own household, does he really need to be put in a position where he's trying to manage the household of God? But the, the, the qualifications that are given here are that he should be moral. And he should be an exemplary Christian. He should be someone that you're able to look at and follow after them. And, and, and they should be a model and example for the rest of the congregation. So um, the qualifications are almost entirely moral. And they're almost verbatim the qualifications for deacons as well. There are two things added to the qualifications for pastors that are not there for deacons. One of them you already mentioned. Uh, qualification for pastor, he must not be what? Recent convert. Recent convert. And the reason is uh, we don't want him getting puffed up. You know, if you're standing in front of people and they're all telling you how smart and how intelligent you are, you can see how that could lead to pride, right? Um, A guy in this position, pride is probably less of a a temptation because a guy in this position, you're working really behind the scenes a lot of the time. But we don't want a recent convert here. We want someone who's seasoned, who's mature, uh, who has grown in the grace of God. Uh, We don't want a recent convert here lest he be puffed up and fall into the deceit of the devil, the snare of the devil. Well, there's one other one that's not really a moral thing um, that is unique to elders in this qualification list. And it is towards, uh, it's at the end of verse two. What is it? Able Able to teach. That's not something that's given to the deacons. Uh, but it is something that is given to elders, to pastors, right? You want him to be able to teach because that is his primary job, right? So he has to have a gifting for that, okay? <coughs> um, so he, um, Timothy is told to... Um, uh, appoint these uh, appoint these offices to have some helpers, and then another really big issue, um, which is a little bit of a sticky thing, 
Um, but I guess we should probably get into it. I don't really know if we have time for it the next two days, but I guess we should probably jump in a little bit. Is um, There are issues in the Ephesian church that Timothy is trying to pastor between different demographics. All right. What, what does a demographic mean? Do you know? A group of people? Yeah, different groups of people in the Ephesian churches. There, there's difficulty... Um, with these different demographics. Not a Jew-Gentile problem here. The problem with these um, demographics goes something like this. Anybody know what's in Ephesus? There's a temple there. You remember Corinth? There was a temple to who in Corinth? Aphrodite? Mm-hmm. Is this one Artemis? Artemis. Huh? Yeah, there's a temple to Artemis in Ephesus. And Artemis has a priesthood that teaches and ministers before her made up exclusively of women. All right. And so um, in the Ephesian church, one of the issues that Paul is addressing is uh, if you read kind of between the lines, um, this is an issue that's happening in the Ephesian church. I already mentioned that there's a really big demographic of what type of women? You remember? Widows. Widows. All right. And a lot of these widows, if you look at chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, a lot of these widows, there are some who are, who are older women. A lot of them are young women. And the church has been taking up collections to provide for these widows. And a lot of these young women, because of that, um, they don't really do anything. The church just provides for us. You know, that happens sometimes today, too. Like, um, I think it's really good, personally. Maybe you have a different perspective. I think it's really good that our country has, like, social welfare debts, right? Um, You know, the, the people who... Are, 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 you know, injured or something can get disability or people who, you know, are having a hard time making ends meet. Sometimes the government can step in and can help them out a little bit. I think that that is often a very, very good thing. But what can that sometimes produce? Lazy people. people. Like during COVID, I knew people who recognized if I work, I'll make this much money. If I don't work, the government will give me more money than I would make if I worked. So they just stayed at home all day unemployed, right? And so what's happening in the Ephesians church is really similar to that. You have some able-bodied young women who really could be, you know, doing good works for the church or, or could be trying to do something in society. Of course, you know, this is Still a culture where a lot of times women are not really included in the workforce. But they're, they're young people in good health who could really be doing something. But they're widows. And so they sit at home all day. They don't really do anything. And um, there's an issue that started to happen. We mentioned two guys that Paul is upset about with the Ephesian church. He handed them over to Satan. What were their names? Yeah, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Um, In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about how false teachers in the Ephesian church are creeping into the houses of women and leading them astray. 
So what it kind of seems like has happened is you've got this group of widows who are, they're at home all day. Paul calls them busybodies and gossips. They just kind of sit around doing nothing, trying to look busy, gossiping all day. And he says that Hymenaeus and Alexander and these other false teachers have crept into these houses. They've started to teach these women their heresies. And then these women who constitute a pretty good portion of the Ephesian church, you know what they've done? They've believed what Hymenaeus and Alexander have said, and then guess what they've done? They've started to spread it. And, um, you know, with this city, is this city pretty used to listening to female voices on religious matters? Why? Because the Church of Artemis. Yeah, the Temple of Artemis is over here. And so all of a sudden, you start getting these women who, you know, do they really know what they're talking about necessarily? They've just kind of accepted what Hymenaeus and Alexander said, and now they're starting to spread it in the church. And you start getting these women who start spreading these ideas who, you know, they don't really have jobs. They just kind of spend all day talking about these things. And they start spreading these ideas, and it's starting to corrupt and threaten the Ephesian church. Um, I think that First Timothy chapter 6, the ending of it, He says um, to Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So Paul there talks about avoid this false knowledge. Anybody remember the Greek word for knowledge? So what have Hymenaeus and Alexander probably been teaching these widows? Some version of Gnosticism. And then these widows have gone on and they've started to introduce Gnosticism to the rest of the church. And the rest of the church is very used to listening to female voices as authorities on religious matters. And so now the church is starting to, do we follow Timothy? Do we follow these ladies? Do we, do we trust what Timothy and Paul say? Do we trust what Hymenaeus and Alexander say? So, that gives some context to a passage that I would expect kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. If you read it last night. Number one, really quickly. Um, did you catch as we were reading... Paul's teachings on elders and overseers and deacons that he only mentions one gender. What's the gender he mentions? Fellas. He says, appoint, not people. He doesn't say appoint people. That was a really terrible little terrible thing. All right, he doesn't say appoint people. He says appoint what? Men. Men. And then, um, further up, that's, that's all in uh, 1 Timothy 3. Further up in 1 Timothy 2, this is what Paul says. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. 
Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What's Paul say? Tell me, what does Paul say? Notice that all of the women start stop talking after we read this text. You know, either either out of discomfort or out of you know, uh, I, I don't know. Are you doing it out of discomfort or are you doing it because Paul said to be quiet? Um, <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. I'm sorry. Oh, what does he say? Women can't teach. They can't exercise authority over a man. You have to be quiet, and our worth is through having babies. Your worth isn't through having babies. What does he actually say about childbearing? Yeah, that's a mistranslation. I'll tell you about that tomorrow. That's a really bad translation. Actually, I'll go ahead and tell you. There's a definite article before childbearing there. What is definite article? What word is the definite article? The. the. Um, verse 15 actually says, yet she will be saved through the childbearing. Oh. What childbearing? Jesus. There you go. Because he's just been talking about Eve, who gets this promise about the seed of the woman, and then it's, uh, yet she will be saved through the childbearing, which is a reference to the Messiah. Um, so that's a really, really, really... I cannot believe that they don't put that in there. Like, I've never seen a Bible that puts it in there, but like every commentary on 1 Timothy is like, yeah, that's totally talking about Jesus because the word the is there. But none of them ever fix it. None of them ever put a the there. It's really frustrating. All right, so um, how does the context of the problem in Ephesus maybe shed some light on this text? Why does Paul say the women need to be quiet? Okay. What's the actual problem in the Ephesian church, though? Yeah, the women are the ones who are spreading uh, the false teaching, the Gnosticism. That's who the false teachers have targeted. And then they've given it to these widows who have then gone out and have started spreading heretical belief. And so Paul says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, I want to point out to you really quickly, that sounds super sexist. But think about Paul's context. You know where women never get to go? School. Are women in Roman culture educated? No. They aren't. Only some men are. But it is a really radical thing for Paul to say, let the women learn. Now, he goes on and says other things, right? But just, just focus on that for a second. He says, let the women learn. For, for Paul's first readers, that would have been a huge deal. That would have been the part that struck them as really revolutionary 
not the part about, you know, uh, quietness and submissiveness. All right, so what we're going to do tomorrow, we don't really have time to do this today, so sit and be uncomfortable with this text for the afternoon, and then we'll, we'll come back tomorrow and we'll talk about it more. What I'm going to do tomorrow is, is this, all right? Um, number one, I'm going to present to you, actually, number one, what I'm going to start off by doing is we're going to look at this text again, and then we're going to look at other passages, specifically in 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about women's role in the church. In 1 Corinthians, he's going to make an even more extreme statement. He's going to say, basically, I don't permit a woman to speak in the church, and that is my teaching in all the churches. And then, the next chapter, Paul is going to say, when a woman stands up to pray or prophesy. Oh. So... Um, Do you really think Paul's going to contradict himself in the space of like 20 verses and not catch it before he sends this letter? Paul's an intelligent person. So whatever Paul is talking about with women not speaking, all right, it's not such an absolute thing that they can never actually say anything in church. You know, they're, they're praying and they're prophesying, they're speaking in tongues in the Corinthian church, and Paul is totally good with that, but there's a type of speech or a manner of speaking, or a time of speech, that he's saying no. All right? So we want to look at that, and we want to look at 1 Timothy 2 in light of 1 Corinthians 14. And then what I'm going to do after that is I'm going to present two views. All right? Um, There are people who, despite what, what Paul says here, think that the whole of the New Testament is totally okay with women being elders, being pastors. So I'm going to present that argument to you and show you how that type of position reads 1 Timothy 2 and also these other passages we look at. And then I'm going to present the opposing position, uh, which teaches male-only pastors, male-only eldership, and I'm going to show you how that position reads these same texts. All right, so just so you guys kind of know going into it, all right, um, tomorrow we're going to do kind of like we did with the man of lawlessness where we do position A, position B, all right? So tomorrow, uh, depending on time and everything, we're going to try to work through both of them. I'm going to try to present position A. This is people who believe in uh, female elders and how they're going to read this text and understand it, and then we're going to do position B and talk about why are some people against that and how are they reading these texts and understanding it, all right? So, um, and we want, to, we want to see what is Paul's big teaching on all of this uh, because, like we said, you know, he, he goes from saying uh, women should never speak, they should, they should learn quietly, they shouldn't teach, to women are praying and prophesying in the church. And does Paul also minister alongside women at times? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How do you know that? What are some women that that you can think of? Lydia. Lydia is a big one in Acts. Helps found the church at Philippi. Who else? Phoebe. Phoebe is the one that takes the letter of Romans. Yeah, Phoebe. um, And she's called a faithful servant of the church. Which people debate... Is he meaning deacon there, or is he meaning servant? Because it's really the same word. All right, so Phoebe would be one. Who else? Where are those two women at Philippi? 
Syndiki and Iodia, who were faithful co-laborers with me in the Lord. There's a married couple. You remember them? Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, right? Uh, Priscilla. Is, Priscilla is actually the one that takes Apollos aside and is like, hey, you're a great preacher, but you got this wrong. That's Priscilla. All right. So we want to look at we want to look at the fact that, um, you know, we do have uh, these these ladies throughout the New Testament uh, who are doing some form of ministry. Uh, now, are any of them elders necessarily? Does the text ever tell us that? No. no. So we want to look at maybe maybe there's a distinction there. Um, so we'll look at it. It's a it's kind of a hot button issue. So we want to keep our heads calm and we want to. Uh, work through it as best as we can, but I'll try to present both of them as fairly as possible. Uh, in your syllabus, I did put a link there to an article by Craig Keener. I think it's on last week. Um, but Craig Keener has a short little article about the, um, uh, he is pro-women pastors. And so um, I think that his, um, I, I would assume that that position is pretty new to a lot of you people. And so Keener, in like four pages, makes an argument for female pastors. You don't really have to read it because I'll be summarizing Keener tomorrow. And then we'll, we'll, we'll also look at another person named, um, uh, who, who, is not the, uh, who, who does not think that female pastors um, are appropriate based on these texts, named Tom Schreiner. Keener and Schreiner, Schreiner um, did a book together where they argued the point. And uh, it's uh, two views on women in ministry. And so, um, yeah, it's, um, they both get to respond to each other's essays, too, after they both present their, their arguments. So what I'll do tomorrow is really kind of summarize both of their arguments and present it to you, and then we can talk about it. Um, but I do want you to read Second Timothy tonight. Um, and we want to we want to keep powering through some of these short books. Um, remember that you do have a memory verse. It's Titus... Three, Three, four, four and, and five. five. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be Friday. So all right, go ahead.